Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. We continue our study through the Old Testament. So remember how last week in chapter 15, how we look at the battlefield and the things that occurred with David's victory over Goliath. But keep in mind, there are several things that we have to remember in chapter 15. In chapter 15, remember chapter 15, verse 26 through 28, how Samuel the prophet says to King Saul, you have rejected the word of the Lord. And, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. But then he also says, this is chapter 15, verse 26 and 28, 26 through 28. But, you know, Samuel goes on to say that the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. You see, and it's not better than you in a carnal sense. You know, we live in a culture today. You know, how dare you think you're better? You know, you think you're better than me. How dare you say that? But it's not a carnal sense. You know, when we look at two camps, one camp is good and one camp is evil. I mean, you know, that's how we have to look at it. You know, if we have two camps, one is good and one is evil. But then we look at people inside those camps. We look at the populace of those inside those camps. You have, you know, the, the people that are in the good camp. And then you have people that are in the evil camp. You see, and it's not better as, you know, one is above the other in a carnal sense. But it absolutely means that the righteous are in a better standing before the Lord because there's rightness with the Lord. And so we have to have proper perspective when we look at this. And so at the same time, we understand when we consider King Saul and, and David and we look at the prior studies and, you know, the previous chapters and we see the events that leads up to the uh, uh, anointing of Saul and the anointing of David. And then we see the battlefield with Goliath. But then with King Saul, we've we've seen things that are off behaviorally off and you know behaviorally off but it trickles down to the people too where you see they're behaviorally off but then remember several chapters ago how the the the, the people of is the warriors of israel they were straight up eating blood they were eating something that was unclean that the lord says hey don't do this this is unclean and you see how israel becomes defiled as a result of those behaviors of king saul you see, they're just off, you know, and it it, it, it it compounds. You see, wow, you know, that that's a little off King Saul. That's a little off King Saul. That's a little off King Saul. And then it just compounds and then it trickles to his own behaviors and then these are his own actions and then his behaviors, which leads to actions and it trickles to the people and Israel becomes defiled and King Saul's choices inconducive with the ways of righteousness conduct that he chose for himself remember god doesn't make robots conduct that he chose for himself and for king saul it's getting worse it's getting worse remember how last week we we see little hints of jealousy in chapter 17 and then you know king saul inquires of david you know whose son are you remember in chapter 17 our study last week and David explains to him, hey, I'm the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite. That's where we ended our study last week in chapter 17. And so there's the, these things that we have to keep in mind to understand what is happening. And so we begin our study here in chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. 
Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is, you know, David and Saul, remember last week, you know, you know, whose son are you? And David says, hey, you know, I'm the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And so in verse one here, chapter 18, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is huge. This is a big deal. Remember in chapter 14 where we see something different in Jonathan, beautifully different, and a, a, a good way, a very beautiful way. And there's something different about Jonathan. And Jonathan, don't forget, he's the son of King Saul. And so we see his dad, and we see the mess that he's making within himself. We see the mess that King Saul is making within himself, and it trickles to the people, and Israel become defiled because they were eating the blood. But then also, you know, we see the, the internal mess that King Saul is making, but then we see the external mess that he's making within the camp of Israel, and that's when Israel became defiled. By Remember, it, 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 vengeance is the Lord's, but King Saul, he wanted his vengeance. And so, you know, he made these rules, you know, don't eat on the, in the law, in, in the statutes, in the, in the uh, uh, statutes of Torah, the rules of bat- battle and the rules of warfare. There are provisions to eat along the way of combat, eat along the way of fighting, you know, sustenance. And, you know, at the same time, we see how King Saul, in his desire for vengeance, he imposed these rules. And by the time, you know, they were able to to eat, they were so hungry that they were consuming blood. And you see how Israel becomes defiled. But not so with Jonathan. Jonathan's different. Jonathan, his son, he's not like his dad. Remember, we saw that in chapter 14. The same way King Saul had a choice to make, so too does Jonathan have a choice to make. And, you know, we can look at this and be like, okay, these are just, you know, people in the Bible. No, it's the same for you and me today. The same way parents have a choice to make. So too, do you have a choice to make? And I say that to my younger brothers and sisters, but you know, even you know, older brothers and sisters who have you know parents, and I mean, sometimes parents they impose certain behavior traits. But let me tell you something: you have your own choice to make. You have your own choice to make. Sometimes parents honor the Lord, and it's beautiful because children can can learn and see and learn by example. And they can read the Bible and see like, wow, my mom is like this. My dad is like this. Wow, that's so beautiful. But then sometimes parents, sometimes they're very poor examples of righteousness. And so if if, if you're in a situation where your parents are very poor examples of righteousness, hey, we have a father in heaven. Our father in heaven, hallowed be his name. How much more our father in heaven we're not like our parents, you see? I mean, you know, if, if there's, you know, a, a righteous mom and a righteous dad and you're a child and you, you think like, wow, you know, you know, you know, sometimes you see parents, oh, you're just like your dad, you're just like your mom, but it's used as derogatory. But you hear a parent say, oh, you're just like your mom. Oh, baby girl, you're just like your mom. Uh, you know, baby girl, you're, you're just like your dad and in this respect and you're, and it's like, wow. And for a child to hear that and be like, wow, that's so beautiful. I can't believe that I'm just like mama. I can't believe I'm just like papa. But then, you know, you flip the, the, the coin and then you see the poor examples. 
you see, you know, it's used derogatory. Oh, you're just like your mom. You're just like your dad. And, you know, it's derogatory. And if you're living in a home where you have poor examples of righteousness for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, you know, you're not like your dad. You're not like your mom. Be like Jesus. We be like Jesus. You see? We have all these examples of righteousness. Look at Samuel. Look at little Samuel. We have all these example, examples of righteousness. Jephthah, Jephthah's daughter. Little Samuel, little Timmy. Jephthah's daughter, beautiful daughter. We have all these examples of righteousness. It's a little bit more difficult. I mean, if you're a, a child and you're living in a home where you don't have examples of righteousness and it's just wild and crazy in your home, you know, it's difficult. The walk is difficult, but the walk is not impossible. You have a choice to make. You look at King Saul and he's making all these boneheaded choices. And you see like, you know, with King Saul, he's making these choices. But at the same time, you see how his choices, his behaviors that are just off, it's trickling to the people. But Jonathan is different. He's not like his dad. Remember in chapter 14, we see Jonathan, he broke away from his dad. He separated from him. And we see that with Jonathan, he's just different, a good different. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 18, we see these two paths, they meet. David, he's already been anointed. And his path comes into contact with Jonathan, who's not like his dad. And something happens supernaturally. Something happens in the pneumos. You know, you know, as a little side note, if you listen to our Old Testament studies and you listen to the Old Testament studies only, go and listen to our studies to the book of Mark because you'll understand when we say the pneumos, you'll understand about the pneumos, the spirit realm. And so with these two paths, Jonathan, son of Saul and David, son of Jesse, these two paths meet. And, you know, Jesse kind of has his issues too. I mean, no disrespect to Jesse because I love the lineage, but he's kind of got his issues too. He kind of, you know, forgot the fact about, you know, his younger son when, when Samuel was, you know, he's with Samuel the prophet and Samuel, you know, are you sure this, these are your sons? Yeah, these are my boys. These are, and it's like, are you sure? And then, oh yes. See that little guy over there? That's my little, that's my, that's my baby boy. You know, and so Jesse's got his issues too. Jesse, you know, no offense to Jesse, but he's got his issues too. And so you see these, these two, David and Jonathan, their paths meet and they connect, but it's deep. It's deep. It's wildly deep. And this isn't, you know, they became good friends. This is deeper. This is much deeper. Their souls connect. Souls that connect. The Bible says that their souls were knit together. And in the Hebrew, you know, it translates as their souls were tied together, girded together, bound together, joined together, knit together, strong together, and worked together. The Hebrew also indicates this connection as an alliance of love. Remember, they're not just good friends. This is big time deep. Their souls are knit together together. Their souls are in koinonia. And this tie that we see with Jonathan and David, it reminds me of the church, but not run-of-the-mill church. 
Not Ephesus, not Pergamus, not Thyatira, not Sardis, not Laodicea, not even Smyrna. This alliance of love, it reminds me of straight up Philadelphia. Beautiful. As to the workers, it reminds me of Paul and Timothy. Beautiful Paul and Timothy. Knit together as workers. This is deep. It's at, at the soul level. Their, their, their souls were knit together. That's deep. Remember when Paul writes to the Philippian saints in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 19, uh, Paul says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. And he says this in verse 20, Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, for I have no one. Think of all the people around Paul. Think of all, not just people, but, you know, in a tiny bubble. Remember our studies in, the, in, in, in Paul's letters and the epistles of Paul? But, you know, think about the tiny bubble of Paul. You know, the tiny bubble, like the, 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 the training pastors. Future pastors, people who are going to be future elders and, you know, training uh, the, the, the next generation of shepherds, the next generation of overseers, the next generation of, uh, of, of ministry leaders. And of that tiny bubble, beautiful Paul says of beautiful Timothy, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. You see? That's big. That's huge. And you see this soul connection of Paul and Timothy, just like you see the soul connection of David and Jonathan. You see? And, you know, Jesse, he has his issues. Saul, he's definitely got some issues. A lot of issues. Major issues. And you see David, and you see Jonathan, who's not like his dad. And it's beautiful, beautiful, a soul connection, deep. It's not just, oh, you know, you're my friend. Oh, you're my friend. Hey, nice to meet you. Now, you know, how you doing today? No, no, no. It's deeper than that. Very deep. Paul says, you know, of, of little Timmy, of Timmy, you know, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. It's not like a check mark. You ever see people like that, you know? It, like sometimes you see pastors even, elders even, people who are supposed to care for the well-being in terms, you know, spiritual well-being, you know? When you see like in Hebrews, when, you know, Hebrews says, you know, to submit to the pastor, to submit to the overseer because they watch out for your soul. They watch out out for your soul. Now, the Bible says, you know, yes, it's a good thing to submit to the pastor, but that cannot be done with any pastor. That cannot be done with run-of-the-mill pastor. You have to understand formula so that you know what to look for. You see? To submit to Titus, to submit to Timothy, to submit to Paul, hey, that's beautiful. To submit to James, hey, that's beautiful. Beautiful, very beautiful. And holy. You see, but to submit to Alexander Himenaeus, you see, to submit to Hillsong, to submit to Saddleback, no way, no way. You say, wait a second, but Saddleback's got the pastors, but Hillsong's got the pastors. I know, but look at them. Look at them. Where do you see formula? Holy formula. You see? And you see pastors who, who, 
care for the souls. That's deep. And so when you have a pastor like that, yes, it's beautiful. And you see in this tiny bubble of Paul, trainer of, you know, the next generation of pastors, ministry leaders, elders, shepherds. And of that tiny group, you see something special in little Timmy. Paul says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your... It's not like a like a gimmick. You know, how you doing today? Okay, you're good? Okay, so, you know, have a nice day. How you doing today? Oh, you're, you're okay? Okay, you know, see you next week. Hey, how you doing today? You know, okay, you know, I'll see you, you know, never. It's not like, you know, checking the box, like, okay, did I do this? No, it's it's a deeper level. It's There's sincerity behind it where, you know, hey, how you doing today? Hey, you know, Timmy, you know, I'm not so hot. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing so hot. I got some issues. And you know, you're you're telling, you know, you're telling Timothy, and like Timothy starts crying, like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this way, you know. And it's saying, you know, you're you're consoling Timothy, you know, instead instead of Timothy consoling you, you're consoling Timothy. Why? Because Timothy hurts. Timothy's in pain because he wants beautiful things for you. And you see, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Paul says in verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. Do you see how rare this is? You picture that tiny bubble of Paul. The tiny bubble of Paul, trainer of pastors, the next generation of, of, of leadership. And in that tiny bubble, And Paul says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. But then you look at, for all seek their own, not the things which are which are of Christ Jesus. You look at pastors say, hey, why are you a pastor? Well, I want to be, I want to be a shepherd. You know, I have a, a shepherd's heart. Oh, by the way, would you like to buy this book of mine? Oh, I have a shepherd's heart. You know, by the way, would you like me to, to, to sign this book? And, you know, you can have a signed copy of this book. And, you know, it normally retails for, you know, 20 bucks. But I'll give you a deal. How about $15? And I'll sign it, you know. As, as if his signature means something, you know. Who, who is this guy? You see pastors, oh, let me sign this book. What is your signature to me? What's like, you know, you can't sell that on eBay. You put it on eBay, you know. Like, you, can't, you can't sell it. There's no value to it. And you see pastors today all seek their own. You see pastors. You know what they're doing with the, the New York Times bestsellers? And pastors are doing this all the time. The uh, 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 Mars Hill. Mars Hill got in trouble for that. The pastor of Mars Hill, former pastor, started a, a new church. But they write these books. They write these books and, you know, the, they, 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 they release the books, but then the, their, their own ministry, they buy bulk, bulk boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of the book. And so what they're doing, they're tallying up the New York Times. They, they buy it so they can, you know, go, move up the New York Times bestseller ladder. So the New York Times bestseller say, wow, you know, this is a good book. And they release a New York Times bestseller, New York Times bestseller. But unbeknownst to them, you see, unbeknownst to New York Times and the bestseller charts, you see, it's the pastor who's buying those books. It's the church that's buying those books with proceeds that are given by the people. You see, it's the pastors who are buying those books. 
So meanwhile, you have the publishers giving, you know, giving profits to the, the writer of the book, so-called pastor. New York Times bestseller. So now all of a sudden more people are buying the book because, oh, you know, it must be a good book because, you know, New York Times bestseller. And then you have more churning because now you have the church that has these bulk books, boxes and boxes of books. Boxes and boxes. And then they turn around and sell them through the, the, the church bookstore. You see pastors, oh, I'll give you a signed copy. What, is, what does your signature mean to me, oh, pastor? You see? They're just churning and churning and churning. Why? For profits. For profits and, you know, for, for fame and fortune. Oh, but he's a pastor, but he's a pastor. I know he is. Yeah, he's got the title of pastor, but look at him. You see? And when Paul says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own. Look at Hymenaeus and Alexander. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. I so wish, I so wish that all of us, every single listener around the world, I so wish we could gather in fellowship in person and partake of love feast. Straight up love feast. Ecclesia, koinonia. And these are things that, you know, we have to be aware of in church fellowship because it's major. It's huge. It's deep. It's a soul connection. You see? And you, it cannot be manufactured. It cannot be manufactured because it's of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's a soul connection. Just like we see with Paul and Timothy. Just like we see with David and Jonathan. It's almost impossible to describe. It's almost impossible to describe. I mean, you know, we could say, well, you know, if you know, you know. But that doesn't even touch the surface. It's very difficult to describe. I mean... If you take all the ingredients to holy formula as outlined in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, holy ingredient, and when I say, you know, Old Testament, it's not, you know, a member of the rules of engagement, you know, according to the flesh is Old Testament, according to the Spirit is New Testament. So when we say Old Testament, New Testament, you know, Old Testament in terms of, you know, understanding the nature and the character of the Lord. And you take all these ingredients of holy formula, and let's just take 10 of those ingredients. When those 10 ingredients are right in you, and there's more, but when those 10 ingredients are right in you, that's a big deal. That's beautiful. And those 10 ingredients are right in you. But then those 10 ingredients are right in another person. You now have two people. There's you that has 10 ingredients, there's another person that has 10 ingredients. And there's more, but 10 is good. 10 is beautiful. That's koinonia. That's Philadelphia. Because what happens in the pneumos, the Holy Spirit, this connection, it just happens. It's, it, you, you can't fake it. It's organic. It just happens. 
I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't see uh, 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 Paul and Timothy like, you know, uh, manufacturing anything. You don't see Paul and Timothy trying to uh, coerce anything. And this is exact same with, 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 with David and, and Jonathan. They're not trying to, you know, manipulate feelings, manipulate emotion. No, it just happens. You look at this beautiful formula inside of David. Where remember how last week it's like, whoa, we, we didn't know about the lions and the bears, and oh my goodness, wow. But the Lord knew. The Lord knew the whole time, the Lord knew. And then you look at Jonathan, it's like, wow, you know, Jonathan, okay, your dad's got some issues, but hey, Jonathan, I like you. And then you realize, wow, Jonathan, you know, you're not like your pops. And you see beautiful Jonathan, not like his dad. And you see beautiful David. And Jesse's got some issues, but you know, I love the lineage. And then these two paths meet, David and Jonathan, and boom, it just happens. This soul connection. It's not manufactured. You can't, it's impossible to, even though you see people do it. You see pastors sometimes at the pulpit, and they kind of like mandate, oh, you know, we have to love one another. We have to love one another. You can't, you can't do that. Pastors can't do that because it's supernatural. And you see like fights in the church, all these disputes in the church. Oh, my pastor says I have to love this guy, so I'm going to love on him. And, you know, but, you know, he's a bonehead and this. And you see the rise of carnality. You can't, you can't force this. You cannot force this. You know, when you look, you read the, the New Testament, you see Paul. And not just Paul, but, you know, Paul in, you know, a lot of ways. He goes out of his way to not lord over anybody's faith he goes out of his way like you know hey i don't want to lord over you but this is what the bible says now you make a choice but i'm not going to force you to do this i'm not going to force you to do that all i'm going to do is just you know teach you what the bible says teach you what, what is good for the lord and you know you have a choice to make you can obey you can disobey that's your choice to make but, you know, you know, for, for Paul as, you know, as, as an overseer, you know, if you choose to disobey, okay, now you activate my response because as overseer, I have to do this as overseer, I have to do this. So, you know, balls in your court. I'm not going to impose. I'm not going to lord over. All I'm going to do is teach. Now you have a choice to make. And Paul goes out of his way. He goes way out of his way. Even with money, hey, I don't want your money. Freely I have received, freely I give. I don't even want your money. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Lord says. This is what's pleasurable to the Lord. And I'm going to teach this. And okay, you make your choice. You see, you can't mandate. You see pastors all the time. Oh, we have to love like this. 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 Well, let me ask you a question. What if loving another is difficult? What if loving another is difficult? Straight up. And that's almost, you know, that's like, you know, that's almost like, you know, anathema in Christian circles. Well, we're Christians. How can it be impossible to love it? We're Christians. How can it be difficult to love? We're Christians. That, that shouldn't be the case. Sometimes people have great difficulty with love. People who've been hurt. You have adults who've been molested. Adults who've, you know, gone through major trials, major tribulations. 
and they recoil from interactions with people. And for them, yes, it's absolutely difficult to love. Very difficult because when they loved before, they were hurt. When they loved before, they were hurt. And so they kind of, you know, adapt to these protection methods. Okay, I love like this, I get hurt. I love like this, I get hurt. I love like that, I get hurt. I love like that, I get hurt. Now, I'm not going to love anymore. It happens. And what if the person loves the Lord? Loves the Lord. Goes to church and the pastor says, Oh, you have to love. Certain things take time. Certain things take time. To where a heart, you know, hearts don't, you know, you don't take a, a heart of, you know, a, a hard heart, a heart of pine. And it doesn't, it doesn't become jello like overnight. It takes time. It takes time for a person to learn of the Lord the goodness of the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to love the Lord even more. And for a person to learn, okay, you know what? Lord, you desire me to love. And I'm going to, you know, baby steps at first, but I'm going to take these baby steps and I'm going to love how you want me to love. You see, and you have pastors who try to rush it. Pastors who try to mandate it. And they say, well, you know, we have, you know, we have to love one another and we're going to love. We're going to be a loving people. And, and then they try to manufacture ecclesia. They try to manufacture koinonia. Well, the Bible says we're ecclesia. The Bible says, oh, look, the Greek translation, you know, ecclesia, the Greek translation, koinonia. And, you know, here we are at church and therefore we're koinonia. Far from it. Look at the fruit. Oh, look, you know, we're a church. We love one another. We, we're ecclesia. We, you know, we're, 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 we're koinonia. Then you watch the news and news, you know, this pastor, this youth group leader molested this, you know, teenage girl. That ain't no koinonia. And you see, oh, this pastor's alcoholic. This pastor's a crackhead. That ain't koinonia. Oh, but the head pastor calls us koinonia. That's nice. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that church is Laodicea. You see, we have to discern because the days are evil and it's getting worse. But where there is truly, truly love feast, where there truly is Ecclesia and Koinonia, that's special. That's very special. It's also very rare. It's a big deal. You look at the holy ingredients, the holy ingredients of Jonathan, who's not like his dad. You look at the holy ingredients of David and, you know, Jesse's got his issues and the two paths meet and their souls are knit together. It's not, it's not coerced. It's, there's no manipulation. It just happens. It just happens. I mean, you look at the jailbirds in Philippi. You know, I don't know how long they were serving their sentence, you know, but, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the Paul walks in, you know, Paul is arrested and, you know, he's, he's thrown in jail. And the, the, there they are, they're chained up. You know, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to jail, if you've ever been to prison, but, you know, you know, you know fresh meat in prison, you know, that, that's, that's a whole nother concept. But, you know, like, you know, 
I don't know what, you know, there might have been a guy serving, you know, a couple guys serving a 10-year term. Maybe there were some lifers in there, but, you know, oh, you know, fresh meat. You know, the new guys are coming in. Oh, fresh meat, fresh meat. And then they start hearing, what are, these are hymns? Am I, am I hearing them sing? And all of a sudden the earthquake, walls rip apart. The bars are open. And they didn't run away. They didn't run away. You see, that's that's Philippi. That's the church. There's a whole lot of jailbirds in Philippi. The church, the church of Philippi. The Philippian church. It's like jailbirds. Praise the Lord. You see. They hear the, the singing. And then the, the jailer comes and he's about to commit suicide, assuming that everybody ran away. Oh, they left. They left. Everybody ran away. And you know, when, when the, you know, the authorities find out, hey, I'm a dead man. So I'm just going to kill myself. He's about to kill himself and he hears a voice. Hey, don't do that. We're all here. What? There might have been some robbers in there, some thieves in there, some murderers in there, some whatever in there. Just they're in jail. They're in prison. became believers you see that's deep nothing was coerced Paul wasn't you know like yelling through the bars you know hey everybody you have to love and I'm gonna lord over you and you have to love you know and you have to love and you have to love and you have to love and the earthquake comes and okay well you know I guess we have to love so we're just gonna stay here no that doesn't happen it's supernatural Nothing is coerced. There's no manipulation. It's organic. It just happens. Why? Because in the pneumos, something beautiful is happening. And in the pneumos, you know, evil things happen. In the pneumos is the presence of evil. When, you know, when you're open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. There's a lot of evil in the pneumos. But there is also good in the pneumos. There is also holiness in the pneumos. And when the formula is right, you have effectuation of all things holy, beautiful things. And that's what happened in that prison. Prison. Straight up jail. Straight up, you know, bars, chains, everything. The earthquake comes, they could have ran away and been freed. No, we're, we're all here. We're still here. The jailer became a believer too. You picture, picture that church. I mean, you know, time goes by, you know, say a couple years pass and they do all the, you know, processing, admin, whatever. A couple years pass. You look at, consider that church where you got jailbirds. You have the, the jailer and they're meeting in fellowship. How wild is that? In a good way, you know, the good wild. How wild is that? How beautiful is that? See, you can't, you can't force that. I mean, people can try to force that, but, you know, it's, it's just going to turn into a mess. But when it's holy, when it's of the Lord, and the Spirit is at work, and God is at work through the Spirit, you know, you know eh, not, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit. Whoa. That's a beautiful thing. That's holiness. 
That's Ecclesia. That's Koinonia. It's Philadelphia. The formula is right. Look for that in a church. In the last days, you're going to have, it's going to be, it, it comes with great, great, great difficulty to find a church. I, mean, I know, hey, there's churches everywhere. Every street corner, there's churches. Every street corner, there's pastors. And we say that on purpose. Pastors on every street corner. But to find a church where there is straight up love feast, you know what to look for. Look for that in a fellowship. Look for that in a church. Pray for that in your fellowship. It's not going to be a big church. It's not going to be a big church. The type, you know, the, the, the days of the mega church, those days are over. Because the type of shepherding required for these evil days, it can't be, you know, one pastor for every thousand people, one pastor for every 500 people, one pastor for every 100 people. One overseer, you know, you have a pastor and, you know, a couple elders or maybe three elders, four elders, you know, or, you know, co-pastor. It's not one overseer for every 500, one overseer for every 100. Those days are long gone. Those days are over. The type of shepherding that's required for this, these wicked, wicked, wicked days. It's going to be in a small church. And earlier we give the example of just two people. You know, one person has 10 ingredients. The other person has 10 ingredients. Two or more. Two or more. And it's so beautiful because in the last days, there's going to be a remnant, a beautiful, beautiful remnant that's refined through the fire as the megachurch enters judgment. The church is entering judgment. Remember, judgment comes first to the church. And these are things that remnant saints, we need to understand. Because this koinonia we speak of, you know, the megachurch can't touch it. Popular denominations, hey, can't touch it. The popular preacher guys, can't touch it. The New York Times bestseller preacher guys, hey, can't touch it. Because they're lacking holy formula. The recipe is wrong. And when the recipe is wrong, there is also no effectuation. You see? Because promises that God has, promises of peace, joy, healing, gifts of the Spirit, seal of the Holy Spirit, they're lacking because why? The formula. Formula. And you have pastors, they can attempt to explain it all they want. You know, oh, the gifts of the Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It was for another dispensation. The church in the book of Acts is not for today. They can attempt to explain it all they want. But the real reason, hey, they lack the Spirit. They lack the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, that reality, it serves to reveal their folly. And if they don't repent of their ways tomorrow, it will serve to their condemnation. You see, you cannot follow the blind. Do not follow the blind. Just like what we see happening with King Saul. King Saul is on a downward spiral. Because remember, he's, he's anointed. or he, you know, he was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord was with him. 
But we're seeing with King Saul, he's quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching something the Bible says, hey, don't do that. That's what's happening with King Saul. And for some people, they call him dad. And that's Jonathan. King Saul is his dad. But with Jonathan, he's not like his dad. You see? So we see in verse 1, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You see how deep that is? It's not manufactured. I mean, here their, their paths are meeting here. Like, you know, they're just freshly meeting here. You, it cannot be manufactured. It's just like what happens in the, the Philippine jail. You know, the, 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 the fresh meat is in jail. You know, fresh meat, fresh meat. And all of a sudden, hey, we're Christians now. What happened? You see, it's supernatural. And then we see what happens here in verse 2. Saul took him that day. This is, you know, Saul, King Saul taking David. And would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So now David, he's now in the service of King Saul. I mean, he was before when he would play the harp, but that was kind of like a, like a part-time gig, you know, be, you know, before he was able to, you know, be with the king and then be with his dad, you know, it's like a, a temporary thing, but now it's more permanent. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved them as his own soul. And Jonathan, Jonathan, not like his dad. Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Remember the weapons transfer last week where, you know, King Saul and David, you know, outside of covenant, that was more an abdication of leadership. But with covenant, with Jonathan and David, you know, making this covenant, the deep knitting of souls with Jonathan and David, it's more of a submission to leadership as Jonathan takes his covering to David. To David. Took off his robe that was on him and gave it to David in verse 4. Not unlike that of Mary, what we just read in the book of Mark not a couple weeks ago. Her covering of hair. Her beautiful perfume. At the feet of the greater covering in Jesus. Remember? We studied that in Mark. And the aroma filled the room. Where was the aroma? It was on Jesus. And it was also in her hair, her covering. You see? So beautiful. So beautiful what we see with David and what we see with the son of David, son of man, son of God. And so now with David, he's officially in service to the king. But you see this knitting together, Jonathan and David, this beautiful covenant. He loved him as his own soul. That's deep. You can't mandate that. You know, hey, I love you. Hey, I love you. But say, I love you like my own soul. You can't mandate that. You can't, you can't coerce. You can't manipulate. People try, but they always fail. It's impossible. To love another like your own soul, that's, that's holy. That's holy. It's deep. I mean, to say deep, it's not, you, you can't even say it's deep because it's like deep times infinity. To love another like your own soul. 
we see it with Paul. Paul says of himself, I wish that my countrymen would be saved. Speaking of Jews, I wish that they would become Christians. So much so that he says, if I can make a trade, he says, if I can make a trade where they come to Christ and they abide in Christ, that I would be anathema from Christ. What kind of love is that? I'll go to hell on account of if they come to Christ, hey, I'll make the trade. What kind of love is that? To be anathema from Christ? And of Timothy, Paul says, I have no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your soul. You can't mandate love for soul. You cannot mandate that. But the Lord sees. And things just happen. It's supernatural. When the formula is right. When the formula is right. Things just happen. You know what it is? It's effectuation. Beautiful things. You're in a church and it's not happening. Hey, it's not happening for a reason. And then pastors say, well, you know, in another dispensation that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for, you know, the book of Acts, you know, the how the Holy Spirit moves and the power of the Spirit. And, you know, that was for that dispensation. It's not for today. That's how they explain it. You know why they explain it that way? Because they're fools. They're stupid. They're idiotes in the Greek, as Paul says. Idiots. They're idiotes. They have to explain it that way. You know why? Because it's not with them. See? I shouldn't say it's not with them. You know, he's not with them. The power, the gifting, and the moving of the Holy Spirit. You're in a church that's not happening? Hey, it's that, it's, it's that way for a reason. The problem is them. Oh, but the Bible says submit to the pastor, submit to the pastor. I'm going to submit to the pastor. Yeah, the Bible does say submit to the pastor. But hey, the Bible says which one? The days are evil. Wicked, 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 evil. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And you know what? Prophetically speaking, the church is going to be asleep. You look around today and what's happening with the church? Hey, good night. Sleeping. Sweet lullabies. And you have pastors mandating love. Hey, you know, we're Christians. We have to love. We have to love. We have to love. And they mandate this. And you, you just look at the fruit. Oh, the pastor says we have to, you know, we have to love and we have to love. And you look at the fruit and it's like, well, this, this guy, you know, they, they're, they're fighting in the parking lot. This lady is cussing out this other lady. You know, these kids are fighting. It's like, you, know, you don't see effectuation. Why? Because the pastor's trying to mandate. Why is the pastor trying to mandate? Because nothing's organic. What does it mean if nothing's organic? That means the things that just happened, it's not happening. What does that reveal? Where is the Holy Spirit? You see? And I've had these conversations with pastors. Oh, yeah, we do church membership. We have this, you know, application and this and people fill out the application and you have to bring, you know, your, you know, where you work. You know, we want to make sure people are tithing, you know, and where you work, your income level and this and that. And, you know, well, why do you do this? And the pastor, you know, we do this because we want to know who we need to invest our time into. We need to know, you know, who we need to invest our time into because, you know, we don't want to waste our time with people that don't do this. That's foolishness. That's carnal. That's the ways of the world. That's applying a logic and intellect that is foolishness. 
You look at Paul. You look at Peter. You look at James. And they were poor and poor and poor and poor. And what remained? A remnant. A remnant. You look at Moses. He went poor and poor and poor. And what remained? A remnant. Joshua, poor and poor and poor. What remained? A remnant. You see? You can't mandate holiness. No one can. People can attempt to, but they always fail. It's organic. It just happens. And, you know, to say it's organic, it just happens, you know, there, there, there's that. But then when you look at the promises of God, it's like, you know, you see effectuation. It's the hand of the Lord. You see? It's deep. And look for that in fellowship. Because that's biblical ecclesia. Biblical koinonia. Biblical love feast. That's huge. And so now David, he's in the in the service of King Saul, you know, more permanent. It's not no longer part-time. Now it's permanent. And so you see Jonathan and David, they make a covenant. And then we see in verse 5, so David went out whenever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. I mean, a person could look at this and think, okay, so David plays his cards right. But remember, the Spirit of God is with him. We've seen that there's something different about David. You know, even among the armies of Israel, there's something different about David. Just like there's something different about Jonathan. Remember in chapter 14? There's something. Remember he broke away from his dad? You know, they're in the camp and he says, hey, you know, you know, we're going to go over here, you know, to the, to, the, to, the, to the Philistine garrison. He broke away from his dad. There's just something different about righteousness and those righteous you look at the world and there's just something different about chloe there's just something different about jephthah there's just something different about jephthah's daughter there's just something different about yael and uh 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 and deborah there's just something different about uh uh deborah there's just something different about Paul and Timothy and uh, uh, all these beautiful people, all these beautiful people that we read in the Word of God, this historical account of how they honored the Lord and what's so beautiful, this is our family of faith. This is our family of faith. You abide in Christ, we're going to see these people. We're going to see these people. One day, we're going to see these people. We're going to embrace these people. Those are the promises of God, effectuation of God's promises. David, when he was, you know, with Goliath, nobody would fight Goliath. You know, for 40, you know, day one of the battle, you know, day two of the battle, then, you know, week one of the battle, we're in the second week, and then, you know, multiple weeks pass. And nobody fights Goliath until one day David's there. Goliath comes out, you know, the big nine-footer, you know, big guy. He comes out, runs his jibs, and David, he hears it. Different day because David hears it. 
Who is this guy running his jibs? You see, defying the armies of Israel, of the, of the Lord. Defying the, the, the armies of the Lord, of, of Israel, you know, God's people. Who is this guy? Who's this guy running his jibs? You know, did, did, did the king, did King Saul really make this offer? You know, you know, no taxes, the daughter and the riches. Is that for real? And the king tries to give him his, you know, his armor and his weapon. They, hey, I don't want this. Goes and picks up his stones. See how beautiful this is? His stones, his staff, and his sling. And he doesn't, you know, it's not like a like a tactical movement. Okay, I'm going to approach Goliath and, you know, 100% tacticality and, you know, move behind this stone, you know, and move over here, tactical movements here, you know, and this and that. No, he just straight, you know, little David just whoosh, straight up runs at him. It's on. Everybody was afraid running away from Goliath. What's, what's little David doing? Hey, he's running towards Goliath. Engage. You see? Close with and destroy the enemy. I like David. There's just something different about him. There's just something different about him. And here in verse 5, we see that David, he behaves wisely. You see, it's not David. He's playing his cards right. Oh, you know, he's, a, you know, that's logic and intellect. Oh, he's playing his cards right. No, this isn't about that. You know, there's a holy wisdom that is not of this world. And this is something we see in David at, at, you know, at this particular juncture in David's life. We see it because in the life of David, he's going to have some ups and he's going to have some downs. And we're going to see his humility and we're going to see his repentance down the road. That's down the road. But here at this particular juncture, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And we see in verse 5 that he behaved wisely, David behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So we see David, he's placed in a leadership position with the men of war. And it's a good fit because, you know, he's accepted by the people and also Saul's servants. You know, being accepted in the Hebrew is to find favor Make merry and be glad. And it also includes happiness, soundness, and success. And a person could say, well, you know, David, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Remember he had a nice countenance? Well, he's a nice guy. But that's kind of an understatement. Because this acceptance that he has, it's, you know, it's with King Saul's servants, you know, it's with them, it's with the people, and it's also with the men of war. You know, the, 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 the criteria for likability with each of these, you know, it's pretty rigid. You know, the men of war, you know, men of war, if you don't fit in, you know, it's, it's almost like a death sentence. You know, e even nowadays in, in certain circles, certain, certain, uh, certain types of, you know, the warrior class, if you don't fit in. You're getting hazed big time. I mean, you're going to have broken bones. You're going to have broken jaws. You're going to have broken legs. You're going to be broken and they're going to kick you out. Because if you don't fit in, you know, they're going to kick you out. Life isn't going to be good. And so for David to be accepted with these men of war and with the servants and with the people. Well, this is. He's being accepted. He's. He has this 
likability. Because, you know, we see in that to be accepted in the Hebrew is to be glad, make merry, soundness, success, happiness. We can read this. Well, he plays his cards right. Well, he's a nice guy. That doesn't even touch the surface. It's deeper. Remember when, when Samuel was choosing out, oh, you know, surely it's this guy. Surely it's the firstborn. And the Lord says to Samuel, no, no, no. That's how man sees. Don't do that, Samuel. Don't do that, Samuel. You need to see how I see things. And so Samuel is like, okay, Lord. And then he's looking at the sons of, of Jesse. You know, is this everybody? Jesse, oh, well, I got to see, see that little, see, see in the distance, you know, see, see the sheep and the, the lambs and see those animals. Yeah, I see the animals. Okay, you see like a little bit, you see that little, like that little figure way up. You see that? Okay, that's my little one. That's, that's my youngest. And then Samuel says, okay, we're not going to continue with sacrifice. We're not going to continue with eating until, you know, he's here. And then, you know, hey, send for David. The little David comes running up. The little David comes running up and the Lord speaks to Samuel. Hey, Samuel, that's him. That's the guy. Anoint him. You see, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the muscles. He doesn't look at the, the intellect. He doesn't look at, you know, worldly wisdom. He doesn't, he looks at the heart. You see? And David, we're starting to see like, in like, you know, like with the last week, you know, with the, the lions and the bears. Wow. You know, when, when, when the Lord said to Samuel, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the one we didn't know about the lions and the bears. And so now here David is, you know, and he's, he's, he's has a, a leadership position, but, you know, set in, in, by King Saul. But at the same time, we're starting to see like, wow, you know, he not, it's not a carnal sense. Well, you know, he, he's, he's, he's playing his cards right. He's a nice guy. No, it's deeper. It's deeper. Because he's being accepted even by the men of war. He's not getting hazed by them. You see? The men of war, David's already proven because they were afraid of Goliath. And, you know, David straight up handled business. No more Goliath. Remember what we saw in King Saul last week where, you know, we've seen the behaviors that are just off. You know, in previous chapters, we've seen like, wow, King, that's, that's off. But then also in last week in chapter 17, we also see a little jealousy. Because it wasn't the king who smote Goliath. It was David. And it was David who rejected the covering of Saul. Remember, you know, I don't want the, you know, this armor. This, I don't want this. David didn't take those, the armor and the weapons of Saul. You start to see little jealousy in King Saul. And so in verse 6, now it happened. As they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of the, all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. This is like post-war celebration. You know, the fighting in this battle, it's over, and there's the exuberance of the people, notably the women. The women had come out. In verse 7, so the women sang and they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Whoa. You see? The people, they're taking notice. They're taking notice of things. Remember several chapters ago when Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines and then his dad took credit? 
His dad took all the credit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I defeated these guys. I defeated these guys. He wasn't even there. It was his son, Jonathan. His dad, King Saul, took all the credit. But with King Saul, he can't do that here. He can't do that here because the word has already spread. And the people, you know, Saul has slain his thousands. Okay, we'll give him that. But David, his ten thousands. And now the jealousy in Saul, it begins to metastasize. We've seen jealousy already. Remember last week in chapter 17. But now the, the, the jealousy, it starts to metastasize. As we, we see in verse 8, Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. To me, to me, to me. You ever meet someone like this? A person in leadership. And the person in leadership who likes to be the center of attention. Likes all the recognition. Takes credit for all the efforts, the efforts of others. Why? To receive all the accolades. Well, that's King Saul. And we see that his jealousy is now begins is metastasizing. But even more behavior traits, they're getting worse and worse and worse. Look what he says here. You see, you know, to me, they have ascribed only, ten, uh, on, only thousands. Now, what more can he have? but the kingdom. Whoa. Remember with Samuel the prophet? When King Saul would uh, reach for him and tore his robe and then Samuel the prophet, he turns around and says, the kingdom will, will be ripped from you as well. King Saul knows that his rule is temporary. He knows it. And he doesn't like it. Now, you know, look what happens in verse 9. In verse 9, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. In the Hebrew, you know, Saul eyed David from that day forward. It's in the Hebrew, it's Saul watched David with jealousy. That's how it translates. To watch David with jealousy. That's what Saul did. Because he didn't, he didn't look at David like, you know, oh, you know, look, you know, this is, you know, this is my captain. This is my, my, you know, I have him over these guys. And wow, look at him go. Look at him go. Look at him run. Wow, he defeated Goliath. Wow, look at him go. Praise be to the Lord. Look, we have a champion of, of Israel. Wow, he, he wasn't like rooting for David. No, he's jealous of David. Saul eyed David from that day forward. He watched David with jealousy. In verse 10, and it happened on the next day. That the, that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the house. Now, the distressing spirit, that's something we studied in chapter 16. And we also know about the marathon. As a little side note, if you haven't listened to our study called the marathon, do so. Listen to it. Very important. Because we cover things that from a doctrinal perspective, they have to be understood because it will help you grow and mature in Christ and help you understand how the Lord works in marathons. And Saul prophesies here. Saul prophesied. And this is interesting because it poses several questions. But we have to remember, what is it that the Bible says about those who prophesy? Because there is both, both false and the true. And this is where we exercise discernment. We look at the fruit. I mean, prophetically speaking, in the last days, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be the real teachers, but there's also going to be false teachers. There's going to be prof real prophets, but there's also going to be the false prophets. You see, how do we discern? You look at the fruit. You look at the fruit. You take Samuel and you take Saul. Samuel the prophet and you take Saul. Both 
prophesy. Samuel and Saul both prophesy. But we stick with Samuel. Why? Look at the fruit. Samuel has the right formula. Yeah, he's a, as a little kid. As a little kid, he had the right formula. And it's only been growing and growing. You know, the, the formula's been growing, but he's been growing and, and maturing as well. And now, old man Samuel. You see, Samuel and Saul, they both prophesy. And when you look at the fruit and you understand formula, it's like, hey, I'm a Samuel. I'm a Samuel. Remember when Saul was anointed in chapter 10? When King Saul, well, he was like king, though he was anointed, but when he was anointed in chapter 10, you know, he prophesied then. He prophesied then. And then in chapter 10, it was fine. You know, for, for him to prophesy, hey, it's fine. So what happened? Saul quenched the spirit. You see? He's extinguishing the spirit. And when that happens, the door is open for oppression, demonic influence, and distressing spirits. And those spirits, they definitely seize opportunities. That's what's happening in King Saul. We're seeing him quench and quench and quench and quench and quench and it's getting worse, it's getting worse. And he extinguishes. It's sad to see happen in Saul. It's sad, it's devastating. But for us today, we have to understand this framework because it's going to happen big time as we get further into the events of the last days where you're going to see Christians, believers, brothers and sisters they're going to quench the spirit. They're going to quench and quench and quench and quench. And they're going to extinguish the spirit. And then, you know, when they, when they extinguish the spirit, they're going to become straight up crazy town. They're going to be crazy town. And it's happening. You see it already. Like, wow, what happened? You know, this lady's crazy. What happened to her? You know, she's like, you know, a tree hugger and all this. You know, she worships creation instead of creator. But man, 10 years ago, she was on fire for the Lord. What happened? Well, she's gone the way of Saul. Quenching and 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 finally extinguish. It's sad. I don't, you know, I, not to explain it like, well, quenching, 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 extinguish, have a nice day. No, quenching and quenching and quenching, extinguish, and it hurts. It's painful. And you see people, wow, you know, she's a tree hugger. She worships creation instead of creator. And you see, wow, she's crazy. Wow, that guy's crazy. He used to be a pastor. Wow, he's crazy. Look at that guy. He's crazy too. He's still a pastor. But the Bible says, submit to the pastor. Hey, you can't submit to that guy. He's a freak show. What happened to him? Quenching, 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 quenching. Finally extinguish. It's devastating. That's what happens with apostasy. And apostasy is prophesied to happen. And it pains me to say, it hurts to say, it hurts to discuss because, you know, the church is taking casualties and we, we will take casualties. And these people who quench and quench and quench and extinguish, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to become enemies of the cross and they're going to pose a threat to the remnant as they side with the Antichrist. Quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching and extinguish. They become straight up crazy town. And then all of a sudden, they're going to side with the Antichrist. And this, this distressing spirit came upon King Saul. It came upon King Saul. He's, he's, look at King Saul. Like, wow, he was, he was anointed. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. And now we look at the distressing spirit. Whoa, what's happened? Quenching and quenching and quenching. He's becoming apostate. 
an Old Testament example of what happens when a person becomes apostate. We see in verse 10, so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand in verse 11, and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice, twice, not just one attempt. This is the very beginning of multiple attempts, multiple attempts. In verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David. King Saul, afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Very interesting. Very interesting. You see how Saul is now a threat to David? David tried to kill him. Or Saul tried to kill him. Saul cast his spear twice. David escaped. But Saul cast his spear. It's like... What happened? What happened? You have two men. You have Saul and David, two men in the camp of Israel, inside the camp of Israel. Saul and David, both chosen, both anointed, the spirit of the Lord on each. And in the course of time, the Lord departs Saul. You see, what in the world happened? What in the world happened? Again, if you haven't listened to the study called the Marathon, go and listen to the study called the Marathon. Very important. We're seeing an Old Testament example of the apostasy of the last days. It's going to happen again. It's already, it's already underway. It's already happening. Saul and David, both two men in the camp of Israel, both chosen, both anointed, the Spirit of the Lord on each. And what happens Time passes, time passes, and the Lord departs Saul. You see? But then we look at Christians. Look at Christians. Take two Christians in the camp of the church. Both chosen, both anointed, the Spirit of the Lord with each, and in the course of time, the quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching and quenching and finally extinguished one becomes apostate. How does this happen? It's the quenching. Something the Bible warns. Don't do that. Quenching and quenching and quenching. Don't do that. If you're listening and you're a person, a believer who believes in one saved, always saved, that's unbiblical. The biblical form formula is one saved, stay saved. Now, we have studies. Go to thewayunderground.com and then listen, you know, access the topical study on one saved, always saved. Very important for all of us to understand. Very important. Because you look at the you know, parable of the ten virgins in, in, in Matthew 25. You see Matthew 25 and you look at this parable of the ten virgins. You see ten virgins. Wow, praise be to the Lord. There's virgins. You see the purity. You see, wow, you know, 10 virgins and, you know, they're waiting on the bridegroom. Wow, praise be to the Lord. That's a good thing. And yes, at that particular juncture, it is a good thing. 10, ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. But then what happens in the course of time? They're awaiting the bridegroom. It's dark, it's nighttime. And then they go out. They take their lamps with them. And praise be to the Lord, you have these virgins, purity, waiting on the bridegroom. They have lamps and they have oil. See, they have lamps, they have oil. What does that mean? They have light. They have light. 
so beautiful. But then what happens? Then they fall asleep. Then it's like at the precipice, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. They wake up and very interesting that they were asleep. Very interesting that they were asleep. You know, prophetically speaking, you know, the last day's church is going to be asleep. We look at the church today, what, what's happening? They're asleep. It's very interesting when you start to look at the, you know, the converging of all these prophecies coming to pass for such a time as this in 2023 AD. So they wake up and something happens. Five of them, no light. No light. We ran out of oil. We ran out of oil. So they go back into town. They get their oil. They come back. It's too late. It's too late. The bridegroom came. And the five foolish virgins that didn't store their oil, they're outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Too late. So you look at the beginning. Ten virgins, so beautiful, waiting on the bridegroom. So beautiful. They have oil. So beautiful. They have lamps. So beautiful. They have light. So beautiful. Then you look in the course of time, what happens? Five are on the outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What happened? They didn't store their oil. So if you're a believer and you believe in once saved, always saved, hey, that's a false doctrine. Go to the way underground and listen to those studies on once saved, always saved. Very important. Very important. Pastors today. Pastors today are giving a false assurance because they're false teachers. I mean, what's to be expected from those false? I mean, if they're giving a false assurance, what does that say? Okay, the teacher told me that. Okay, if the if the if it's a false assurance and the teacher gave it to you, what does that say of the teacher? What does that if it's a false assurance and it's given to you by a pastor? What does that say of the pastor? Well, he's false. Oh, but my pastor's female. Well, wrong formula. You see. She's giving false assurance. She's a false teacher. And, you know, it's like a triple whammy, you know, because you're female. You know, coverings are always male. And she ain't it. I mean, it's so simple. Very intricate. It's, it's, it's still simple, but it's very intricate. Understand that we absolutely, absolutely, we have assurances. And an assurance that saints have, absolutely, but the formula, it has to be right as the Bible teaches us. It has to be right. In verse 13, therefore, therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. So back in the day, before a war campaign, the townspeople would gather and it was kind of like a send off for the fighters. Say there's like, you know, you know, like, a, like, a, like 50 warriors or 100 warriors and they'd go out in a little skirmish. Well, the townspeople would gather and, you know, the, the, the warriors would go out and be like a procession of people, like a send off. And then when they return from the fight, when they return from combat, you know, it'd be like, you know, the townspeople would gather and they'd receive their fighters, receive their warriors. And that's what happened with David. David is now captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people in verse 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Therefore, in verse 15, when Saul saw that he behaved wisely, he was afraid of him. Remember in chapter 15, the reference that David would be better? Well, here in chapter 18, in behavior alone, 
we already see that David, he's definitely better. Definitely better. Look at his standing before the Lord. We see the Lord is with David, and you see with Saul, the Lord departed him. It's those two camps. Remember the two camps, good and evil? Look at the two camps. And now Saul is afraid of David. And we remember in verse 8, you know, what more can he have but the kingdom? What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul's fear is, you know, the, the end of Saul's rule. You see, David is a threat to Saul's rule. In verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So David is captain, you know, he was in the mix with his men. You know, he wasn't like, you know, you know, like, you know, sending the guys out and then get fat and happy while he stays home. No, David, he's in the mix and the people loved him. David would go out. He's in the mix. He would go out and engage. Good leader, good leadership. In verse 17, then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Now, remember in, in chapter 17, in last week in our study, that that was the offer of the one who would smoke Goliath. You know, no taxes and then, you know, for the father's house and then, you know, the daughter and then riches. That was the offer. And so now we see the eldest daughter is Merab, you know, and we see in verse 17, I will give her to you as a wife only. Be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Very interesting. That's what Saul thought. So what, what, what Saul said, what King Saul said to David, you know, here's my daughter. I'll give it to you as a wife. You know, only this, you know, be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. Fight the Lord's battles, you know, end quote. That's what, that's what Saul said. That's what came out of his mouth. But then the Lord gives us a picture of what happens in his head. Because Saul thought in his head, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. You see, remember, the Lord sees the heart and the Lord is revealing that to us here. You see, because he says to David, yeah, yeah you know, see how his speech is? See, we, we see in verse 12 that the Lord has departed from Saul, but Saul, you know, he's still speaking Christianese, so to speak. Be valiant for me, David. Fight the Lord's battles. You know, it sounds like noble encouragement. It sounds like, well, you know, look, the king's really looking out for me. But we also see the ulterior motives. Because Saul didn't say this, but he was thinking it. He was thinking it. And the Lord says he was thinking it. This isn't a person saying, you know, you said this, but you thought otherwise. No, this isn't carnal. This is the Lord. Saul thought. Let my hand not be against them, but let the hand of the Philistines be against them. In his, in his thought, in his minds, you know, I don't want David to die by my hand, but I'll send him out to battles and let the Philistines be against them. You see? That was his thought. And as much as I love David, I'm so in love with David. David, I'm so in love with the lineage. But in the course of time, this is something that comes to visit David as well. And David will fall. But David will also repent and he will be restored. But in the aftermath of repentance, in the aftermath of restoration, he still has to reap what he sowed, what was sown. He still has to. And this is something, uh, you know, a lot of times we forget that. We forget it or we like to forget it or sometimes the combo. 
He's like, you know, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. Okay, back to normal. Everything's back to normal. Hold the phone there, my friend. Sometimes it can't be back to normal. Because it is also written. Whatsoever is sown must be reaped. It happens a lot with men. Oh, do you forgive me? You forgive me. The Bible says you have to forgive me. The Bible says you have to forgive me. You have to forgive me. You have to forgive me. And, you know, a wife. Okay, I forgive you. Kids. Okay, you know, we forgive you. Okay, cool. You know, okay, we're all Christians again. Everything's back to normal. Everything's back to normal. Hold the phone there, my friend. Back to normal is over. You see? Now it's time to reap what was sown. Very important to understand. It happens to David. Yes, he becomes right with the Lord once again, but at the same time, hey, he still has to reap the very things that he sown, that he had sown. Very important to understand. Now it's true, there is an aspect of forgive and forget, but even then, formula has to be right. You see? And that's when you get into Habitual sin. This is something, you remember our study in the Thessalonian letters? This is something that Paul says, hey, the habitual sin, hey, don't do that. The habitual sin, you know, when you have somebody who's involved with habitual sin, hey, that's leaven. That's leaven. And we know what happens with leaven. And I don't mean to say that, you know, we know what happens with leaven, you know, they're on the outside. And that's true. But, you know, listen, this concept of habitual sin and God is love. And yeah, you can you can do the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and it's habitual sin. Listen, there is healing in Christ. And a person says, well, wait a second. If there's healing, if I'm a sex head and there's no healing, if I'm an alcoholic, if I'm a crackhead and there's no healing. Does that mean the Bible is fake? Nope, not at all. But the Bible says I can have healing and I don't have it. Okay. Well, why are you gonna pin why are you gonna put pin the blame on God? I mean, we just we look at God and man, and what's left? It's not God. Um, so what's left? Formula. That's gotta be right. You see? Remember with Brother James? When Brother James says to Christians, you adulterers and adulteresses, he says that to Christians, to believers. You adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. Remember? You ask and you do not have. You pray and do not receive. You ask and do not have. Why? Because you ask amiss. Is the problem the Lord? Nope. Is the problem prayer? Nope. So what's left? The Christian. The believer. That's what's left. Brother James says you ask amiss because of you. You know, it's not a time for joy and happiness. He says it's a time for lamenting. You have to repent. And when there's repentance, there is an aspect of forgive and forget. And that's beautiful. But then something else is in play. The habitual sin. You see? You forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. Okay. There's, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Restoration, that's beautiful. But what happens when the sin becomes repetitive, you know? Re 
repetition over and over and over with the sex, with the drugs, with the alcohol over and over and over. All of a sudden, now that person plays the fool, but the other person also, the the person who forgives also plays the fool. Now, very important, forgive, you know, do we forgive a hundred times? Yes, forgive a hundred, 10 times? Yes, 70 times seven, yes, we forgive. And forgive and forget has limitations because at some point it transitions to forgive and remember. You see? Yeah, I forgive you, I forgive you, brother. Yeah, I forgive you, sister. He does it again, she does it again. Yes, I forgive you, brother, I forgive you, sister. And then again, and what's being revealed is the the, the habitual sin. Yes, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, sister. And then it happens again and again. Yes, I forgive you, brother. Yes, I forgive you, sister. But now things are going to be different. Because as a result of your own choices, yes, I forgive you. Yes, I forgive you. Listen, there's no beef between you and me. I forgive you. All is forgiven, but only this. Now I'm going to separate from you. Why? Because you're not just exemplifying the works of the flesh. Yes, you're doing that. But as a result of the over and over and over, now you are leaven. You've exposed yourself as leaven. And now that you're leaven, I have to be obedient to the Lord. And yes, I forgive you. Yes, I love you. And yes, this hurts. Yes, this is painful. But now that you have exposed yourself as leaven, me, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord and I'm going to separate from you. You see? So no more. No more. I forgive you. I forgive you. Hey, we have no beef. We have no beef. I forgive you. But only this. No more. Those days are over. And it's as a result of your own choices. As a result of your own behavior. You see, we have to be wise. We have to be wise. Because the Bible says, you know, forgive. You know, you know, 70 times 7. Forgive. That's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, the Lord never calls us to be stupid. And a lot of times people forget that. People forget that. And then you see mess upon mess upon mess. And the mess metastasizes. It gets worse and worse in behaviors. It changes others. You know, a little leaven leavens the bunch. So, yeah, brother, I forgive you. Yeah, sister, I forgive you. But, you know, the days like before, those days are over. You see? Those days are over because the Bible doesn't, you know, the Lord hasn't called me to be stupid. The Lord hasn't called me to be a fool. So, you know what? I love you, but, you know, we're not going to hang out anymore. And it's a result of your own habitual sin. It's a result of that, your own choices. For you to disobey the Lord, it's a result of your disobedience to the Lord. As for me, I'm not going to play that. I'm not going to be, if if you want to be disobedient to the Lord, okay, that's on you. But as for me, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. So, you know, separation. You see? And it happens with David. David has to reap what he has sown. Not yet. I mean, these are the the, the early stages of the life of David, and it's beautiful. But we also see how the enemy is relentless in making people fall. The enemy is relentless 
always looking for that foothold, you know, roaming around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. And it came to David. And David falls. Not yet. I mean, this is this is beautiful. This is, these are beautiful things that we're starting to see in David. And it's like, wow, remember the lions and the bears? Like, wow, I didn't know about that. You see something beautiful in the heart of David. But then you also see that in the course of time, Satan is relentless. But we also see something else. In the course of time, we're also going to see humility in David. And this humility helps David. When, you know, when Nathan comes to David, you know, and David says, you know, you know, Nathan says, you know, what would you do to such a man? And David says, you know what, you know, that, 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 that man, you know, he's a curse from the Lord. He's committed this great sin. You know, that man shall be put to death. And Nathan says, David, you are that man. And now you see the beauty of humility. Because David doesn't say, you know, how dare you say that, Nathan? Get out of here. Off with your head. You know, David, he's heartbroken. Whoa. You see how humility helps him. Nathan, you're right. It is me. I've committed this great sin. And then David repents. You see? So beautiful. I mean, as much as I'm in love with David, as much as I'm in love with, you know, the, the lineage especially, we also see how there's, you know, types of Christ in, in, in all these people in the Bible. You look at Moses, you know, a type of Christ, but then you see how Moses, remember when, you know, he was forbidden from going into the, the, the promised land? And you see like, okay, he's a, you see like a type of Christ, but at the same time, it's not the Christ. You get Joshua, Joshua, a type of Christ, but, you know, again, not the Christ. Even with David, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. And I love that so much. Because as much as we see humanity in the Word of God, we also see how in the, the human nature, we also see you know the good and the bad, the carnal nature, the flesh, which is that war with the Spirit. And it's not to make excuses for the flesh. In no way, shape, or form is this said to make excuse for the flesh. But we have to understand that we must, we, we must master the flesh or work towards mastering the flesh. You know, when we master the flesh, we're going to be dead. Then you need to take your last breath. You know, you're in the hospital, you do the beep, 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 and then flatline, beep, then you master the flesh. It's a constant battle. Even old man Paul, I do not count myself as, as having attained I did not count myself as having attained already. You know, what does that say of once saved, always saved? When Paul says, hey, I don't count myself as having attained. But old man Paul says, I press forward. I press forward. Very important to understand. And here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we see these beautiful things in David and something, you know, we see little glimpses of it, but we, we don't fully understand humility in David. We don't fully understand it just yet. But down the road, we're going to see that. And he's off to a good start here, a beautiful start. And in the life of David, he does finish well. He does. But there's turbulence along the way. 
And that's something we have to understand. Yes, we finish well. I mean, we strive to finish well. But we have to understand there's also going to be turbulence along the way. With some people, major turbulence. With other people, major, major, major turbulence. It's the exact same for us. As believers, we start well. Praise be to the Lord. But then the question is, will we finish well? Because that's yet to be determined. And we have these valuable lessons in scripture, valuable lessons in fellowship, the body caring for the body, bearing one another's burdens, helping each other along the way, carrying one another, you know, helping us carry each other's crosses. We carry our cross, yes, but you know what? I'm going to need help. You're going to need help. And we help one another, bearing one another's burdens. It just so happens we looked at this on Sunday. It just so happens, you know, Jesus himself had help carrying his cross. That's koinonia. That's ecclesia. It's the remnant caring for the remnant. Very important to understand. That's love feast. That's when souls are knit together. It's very rare. Very. It can. You, you, you say, you know, you might think like, wait a second. You know, I listen to this other pastor. I go to church and this pastor talks about koinonia and ecclesia and love feast. And he talks about it. Okay. Just look at the fruit. Just look at the fruit. This pastor talks about ecclesia, koinonia and love feast. And he's on his fifth marriage and his previous wives are still alive. Wrong formula. He can talk about it all he wants. Wrong formula. He don't got it. You see? Wrong formula. Oh, you know, I go to this other church and they talk about Lapis and Koinonia and Ecclesia. And, you know, this uh, uh, youth leader, he's, 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 he's uh, uh, ha- ha- he- having sex with the kids. He's molesting the kids. Oh, number one, he should be in prison. What, number one, what is he doing there? He should be in prison. And you have Christians in church and pastors trying to hide these things. You say, wait a second, what are you talking about? It's happening. The, 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 the churches are becoming shelters for like molesters, rapists. It's happening. You, you know, the, 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 a, a pastor is molesting children. They say, okay. You know, we've prayed about it and, you know, we're going to send you to this, you know, this, this, this other uh, uh, fellowship that's, you know, in, you know, uh, 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 Venezuela. You know, you're going to, you know, the, the Lord is calling you to this, uh, uh, to, to serve in ministry in Venezuela. Really what's happening He's running from the authorities and he's aided and abetted by the church. You know, those pastors should be in prison as well because they're aiding and abetting. It's happening. The last days, the Bible says, it's going to be straight up crazy town. And judgment comes first to the church. And we're seeing it where shepherds are becoming wolves. They're in transition. Shepherds are transitioning to wolves. It's happening. Oh, but the Bible says I got to submit to the pastor. The Bible says I got to. Yeah, absolutely. But which one? You see? And we see love feast. Koinonia and Ecclesia, very rare. The knitting of souls, very rare. It cannot be manufactured. It cannot be coerced. It's holy. Look for that in a church. 
Look for that in a fellowship. Look for shepherds who foster that in fellowship. You're not going to have the big church, but look for that. In verse 18, so David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? We get a little picture of David's heart here because remember in 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 verse seventeen, you know the uh, or in, in verse seventeen, you know here's here's my older daughter Merab, and I will give her give her to you as a wife. And then David's like straight up, you know, who am I? What is my life? Or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Who am I? Then we see more. We see a little picture of that humility, the heart of David. You see, with Saul's offer to, you know, the the one who killed Goliath, you know, whoever kills Goliath, you get my daughter. David wasn't interested in those matters. David's interest, David's focus was on the Lord, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Remember our study from last week in chapter 17? Now we look at verse 19 here in chapter 18. But it happened at that time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Meholatite, as a wife. Now Michael, or Michal, now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him. Now, this is Michal now, Saul's daughter. Verse 20, verse 21. I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wow, some dad. Some dad attempting to use his daughter to aid in the downfall of David. Wow, some dad. What a piece of work. I'll give, you know, you know, Merab, you know, she's with Adriel now. But, you know, hey, Michael, come here. You know, Michal, come over here. You know, you want to marry David? What a piece of work. And Saul's motives is to, to be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against them. You see? Wow. Disappointing. Very disappointing. Especially knowing that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. But the Lord has departed him. What's happened? You see, it's getting worse. It's getting worse and worse and worse. He was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord was with him. Look at the chapter 18. What happened? You see, the Lord departed him. How did that happen? Look at his choices along the way. Look at what happened in Saul's marathon. Look at what happened. Remember, you listen to our study called the marathon because, you know, there are some denominations and some doctrines. Is Calvinism Reformed theology, which is really Reformed theory, which is, a, you know, it's false. But they say it's a setup job. That God predestined this to happen. And as a result, God is making Saul do these things. No, 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 no. Listen to our study called the Marathon. And if you're Calvinist or Reformed, go to thewayunderground.com and go to the area for Reformed theology. Resources. And you'll see. Studies through Romans. 
very important to understand. We're living in the last days. And these Calvinists and Reformed pastors, what they're telling believers is that a person can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. What kind of spirit would say that? What kind of spirit would say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? What kind of spirit would say that? And I'll give you the answer. It's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says, don't you dare take the mark of the beast. And the Spirit of the Lord never guides away from the word of the Lord. Never. But another spirit would. Satan would. Evil spirits would. Why? Because they want to drag people to hell because that's where they're going. You see? It's so simple. It's so simple. Very intricate, but still so simple. And you look at Saul here. Dear old dad. And he wants to use his daughter to aid in the downfall of David. He's definitely not like Jephthah. Remember Jephthah? Where the ways of righteousness were passed to his beautiful daughter. Beautiful, beautiful daughter. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait to meet Jephthah. There's so many people I can't wait to meet. I can't wait to meet you. I mean, in this life, I want to meet you. I'm, I, I desire strongly to meet you and fellowship with you. But in the life to come, I can't wait to meet you. And so we see here in verse 21. I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you and all his, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Very interesting how his behavior with King Saul, King Saul, the Spirit of the Lord was with him, but now the Lord has departed from him. But with King Saul, his behavior doesn't match his speech. His behavior doesn't match his speech because he's telling his servants to say this to David, you know, that the king has delight in you, David. But, you know, let's just forget about the javelin incident. Let's just forget about the javelin incident. You twice. Let's just forget about that. No big deal. Hey, so I tried to kill you. Hey, you live, so no big deal. Listen, it's a huge deal. The king has delight in you? What happened? What happened? Saul, he started so well. He started so well. But then we see in the course of time in his marathon, he's not going to finish well. In verse 23, so Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. And so the, the, the servants, they come back and they report to King Saul. This is what David said. You know, David said, you know, does it seem like a light thing to be the king's son-in-law? Saying that I am poor and lightly esteemed. Hey, King Saul, that's what David said. They report back to him. In verse 25, then Saul said, <clears throat> then Saul said, <clears throat> thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David, but Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So notice what happens here. King Saul, he changes his offer. 
Because to the you know, David killed Goliath, and David the one who kills Goliath, hey, you get my daughter. Now, you know, uh, uh, Merab is taken, you know, next in line, you know, uh, 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 Michal. And so, you know, so, you know, now King Saul, he changes things up, you know, whoever kills Goliath, hey, you get my daughter. But now, you know, Saul says, I don't desire any gifts. But for vengeance on my enemies, get me a hundred foreskins. You see, he says, hey, you can have my daughter. Now he's saying, you can have my daughter, but there's this. And don't forget, vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And Saul wants vengeance now. Just like before, remember? When Israel drank or was eating blood and they became defiled because Saul wanted his vengeance, same thing. And he's, you know, he, he's speaking like a Christianese. Oh, you can fight the Lord's battles. What is he talking about? Wrong formula. Wrong formula. And Saul wants his vengeance. And it sounds somewhat innocent to hear these words of Saul, King Saul. It sounds somewhat innocent. But remember, they're just words. They're just words because what he really wants, what King Saul really wants, he wants David dead. I mean, it, you know, remember the javelins, you know, twice, you know, didn't work with the javelins. And, you know, and that, now he tries to hide his motives by having it done by the Philistines. You see? What a piece of work. The end of verse 25, but Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. You see? Conniving. In verse 26, so when, when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore, David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Now, you know, it sounds kind of weird. I mean, depending on, you know, if you're a believer, non-believer, or depending on your age in Christ, you know, in terms of, you know, if you became a believer like last month, you know, it sounds weird. To request foreskins. I mean, you know, it, it, it sounds weird to go get it. It's one thing for, you know, give me some foreskins. Okay, here's your foreskins. You know, it sounds weird to, to request foreskins and it sounds weird to actually go out and get the foreskins. And I've heard people explain this carnally. I've heard pastors make jokes about it from the pulpit. And that's carnal. That can't be done. As New Covenant believers, we know what circumcision is. It's not of the flesh because it's a circumcision of the heart. I mean, if you're listening for the first time or if you're a new believer, go and listen to our study in Romans. Everything's archived for you. Everything's, it's free. Everything's archived for you. The circumcision of heart, you know, of, of the flesh, circumcision of flesh, that's men only. Men only. But circumcision of heart it's both male and female. For my sisters in Christ, you know, in Christ, you abide in Christ, hey, you're circumcised. You're circumcised. It's not of the flesh. Of the flesh, impossible. Impossible. You Females cannot be circumcised. But according to the Spirit, hey, circumcision. And it's beautiful. And circumcision is a law for the people of God. Circumcision is a law for the people of God. One camp is of the flesh in the first covenant. The other camp is of the spirit 
in the better covenant. You see, an uncircumcision is unbelief. And for the Philistines here, while living, they were uncircumcised. And now they're dead. And as dead, they are circumcised. You see? Because now the dead, the dead tell no tales. Why? Because they know. They know. Remember with uh, Lazarus and the rich man? Where, you know, hey, you know, uh, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, hey, it's too late. You see? For the dead, the dead aren't unbelievers anymore. In, while living, they can a person can be an unbeliever, a non-believer. But when dead, hey, a person's not a not not a non-believer. Non Why? Because now they know. Except this, it's too late. It's too late because the time to choose the Lord is while living. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then judgment. You see, that's what the Bible says. You say, I'm not down with that. I don't believe the Bible. Okay, listen. The Lord doesn't make robots. The Lord does not make robots. But at the same time, if a person dies without Christ, you know what that is? Hello, lake of fire. That's what it is. It's hellfire, damnation, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. And Christians get mad at me all the time. Oh, don't, don't scare people to heaven. Don't scare people. Why? It worked for me. I'm terrified, you know, to, to hear that for the first time, you know, burning in hell, lake of fire, weeping, gnashing teeth. What is this? It terrified me. And I read the Bible and sure enough, yep, you know, that's what the Bible says, sure enough. So if you're listening, you're not a believer. And you're like me, like you're kind of terrified, like what? Weeping? Yes, that's what the Bible says. You want to come to Christ and commit your life to Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. Be unbelieving no more. And be circumcised of the heart. You're female. Be circumcised of the heart. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. Right here, right now, point blank, straight up. You see? And for these Philistines, they were circumcised. But they were circumcised when they were dead. It was too late. They're not unbelievers anymore because now they know, wow, God is real. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wow, he's real. People today, you know, they take their last breath. You know, the, the, they're in the hospital, the beep, 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 and beep, you know, the flat line. And, you know, hey, say goodnight. If they were a non-believer, they're not non-believers anymore because now they know. You know, lake of fire, now they know, wow, Jesus was real. I should have, you know, Jesus is real. I should have, I, I should have made, made the choice when I was listening, you know, Father Abraham, Father, hey, too late. Too late. That's what the Bible says. He said, well, that sounds kind of serious. I know, it's serious. Very serious. And so here, Saul desired a hundred foreskins, and boom. David comes back, boom, here's 200. You see? Verse 27, then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. You see, things are getting worse and worse and worse in the heart of Saul. It's not good. Not good. 
And it's sad to see his downfall. It's sad to see his behavior get worse. And for you and me, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot from the mistakes of Saul. We can learn a lot when we read the Bible and you see like, wow, that guy made a mistake. Wow, that lady made a mistake. Wow, that guy's fallen. Wow, that lady's fallen. Wow, what a bonehead. And wow, she's a bonehead and he's a bonehead. And wow, this guy's awesome. And wow, this guy's righteous. And this lady's righteous. And this little girl is righteous. And this little boy is righteous. Wow. We can learn. I don't want to go the way of Saul. I don't want to go the way of Pilate. You see? I don't want to go the way of Korah. And we look at Moses. I want to go the way of Moses. I want to go the way of Joshua. I want to go the way of Caleb. I want to go the way of Chloe. I want to go the way of Jephthah. I want to go the way of Jephthah's daughter. You see? I don't want to go the way of Alexander. I don't want to go the way of Himenaeus. We can learn. Just like with Eli. Eli, you know, high priest, and you know, with the with the priests of the the Philistines, even with the ark. Remember when the ark was the, the ark of God was with them, and when when with with their god uh, uh, Dagon. Remember how much easier it would have been. How much easier it would have been for Eli and those priests of the Philistines. How much easier it would have been to simply fall on their knees and repent and come to the Lord. How much easier it would have been. So much easier it would have been to get cleaned up before the Lord. You see? But God doesn't make robots. Everybody has a choice to make. For himself or for herself. You're in a home where you're the only believer. Hey, everybody's got a choice to make. You be the light in your house. You see? And pray. Witness in your own house. I was talking to a kid one time. And the kid was like, man, you know, it's so difficult because, you know, I'm the only Christian in my house. Mom, dad, you know, and brothers and sisters, I'm the only Christian in the house. What do I do? And it's so beautiful to, to talk with these young souls and listen, you're a witness. I mean, you know, you hear people and you see people, they're witnessing here and going over here and going across the world and they're doing, you know, evangelism and they're, you know, uh, 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 they're doing all these things, you know, and, you know, but for you, let it be in your own house. Let it be in your own house. Before dinner, you know, hey, pops, can I pray? Hey, mom, can I, can I pray for dinner? And, you know, the, 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 the dad, you know, hey, sure, son, go ahead and pray. Okay, you know, you want to believe in that pie in the sky? Go ahead and pray. And you can pray, you know, and thank the Lord. Pray for loved ones at the table. You can be a witness in your own house. And it's supernatural what happens. You know, you go to bed at night and you say your prayers and, you know, pray for those seeds. Pray for the Lord to do a work. And when the formula is right in you, you know what that means? Effectuation. It's supernatural. Things are going to happen. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, the body of believers. It's rare to be together in fellowship. It's rare because, you know, you say, wait a second, how can that be a rare thing to be a fellowship? Listen, I'm talking about love feast. I'm talking about souls knit together. Like 
Paul and Timothy, like David and Jonathan, I'm talking about souls knitted together, a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, looking at one person, formula's right in this guy. Looking at another person, formula's right in this guy. Looking at another person, formula's right in this lady. Looking at this other person, formula's right. Looking at, looking at this old old lady, looking at this old guy, looking at this, you know, this, this little girl, looking at this little boy, and the formula is right, and the Holy Spirit knitting those souls together. That's love feast. That's koinonia. That's ecclesia. That's effectuation. And when that happens, put on your seatbelt. Put on your seatbelt because things are going to happen. That's like, you know, that, you know, you get to that level. That's like, you know, book of Acts. Effectuation. Gifts of the spirit given to each. Why? For the body. The remnant caring for the remnant. You see? But everybody has a choice to make. We see in verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And here we are, we conclude our study in chapter 18. And something we want to say, something I want to say, this Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to conclude our study in the book of Mark. And what's going to happen, there's going to be some gaps between our studies now. Some gaps are going to be small. Some gaps will be, you know, maybe not as small. But what's going to happen, you know, I'm going to be engaging in some works that the Lord has slated. And it's going to be with pastors and some evangelizing as well. So, you know, there's going to be some these these gaps between our studies. But we have these studies archived for you. There's a lot of art studies in the archive for you. Go to thewayunderground.com and you'll access those archives. Very important. Studies that will help you grow and mature in Christ and make uses of these resources available to you. My beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters, I'm never going to cease to pray for you. Never. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.